is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 There are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross and Dempsey's denied again. And Donovan has scored. Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA. Certainly through. Oh, it's incredible. You could not write a script like this. For the fourth time, the United States of America are crown champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. All right, and welcome to FUVFC, coming to you from the beautiful Rose Hill campus of Fordham University in the Boogie Down Bronx. We are in studio once again. And I am joined once again for the second week in a row by Chris Shepard, but coming back and reclaiming his seat next to me is the great Gino Alva. I am James Burley. So happy for you guys to be joining us in another big week of football, soccer, or whatever you want to call it. Gino, welcome back, my man. How are we doing? Uh, It's good to be back. It's been a while since I've been here. There's been a lot of schedule changes, but yeah, it's been a hectic week in in soccer in Europe, so can't wait to talk about that. Yeah, uh, just want to say... I apologize for my terrible classicer take. Uh, <laughs> oh, we they use it as motivation. That, yeah. uh, what can I say? Harry Kane's a creative genius. <laughs> creative genius, and he showed that in Champions League play as yes. well. I think we're gonna we're gonna talk about Bayern in just a little bit. We're gonna open things up. Usually, I try to save this stuff for the end, but we're gonna open things up a little more locally. But we've got good news and bad news. I'll get the bad news out of the way. As expected, the New York mm-hmm. Red Bulls have been eliminated. Uh, they, they put up quite a bit of a fight. That game went all the way to penalties. They were ahead at halftime. Tom Barlow scored, uh, the fan favorite, of course, Tom Barlow. And then Aaron Bupenza off the bench scores a great goal for Cincinnati. Really, he his substitution changed the game and really solidified that three-legged tie due to a two-legged tie, and it went to penalties. And it's so weird watching penalties where the one team can only extend the series and the other team can advance. It's like... It really shouldn't be the case. We've talked about the MLS playoff format ad nauseum and how we, at least to put it bluntly and politely, we disagree with it on a fundamental level. Uh, with that said, the Red Bulls made it close, and once again, for 14 years running, they make it as painful as possible for their own fans. Last year, they did it late. They gave up two late goals to Cincinnati. This time, they give up a late goal, and they have two opportunities to win it in penalties. The first one, their star boy, JMI Tolkien, who had already scored two game-winning penalties on the season, hits the post. They go to sudden death. And then former New York Red Bulls homegrown favorite, Matt Miazga, who's already on a yellow card for arguing with the referee, gets a second yellow after converting his penalty, after gesturing heart signs and blowing kisses to the fans, trying to be... Uh, trying to trying to start something. He 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 defended it as a heartfelt tribute, but I think if you know anything about Matt Miazga and about the relationship that he currently has with New York Red Bulls fans, you would know to see right through that. Matt Miazga has been given 11 yellow cards this season. Only three of them were for challenges. So that's just a little bit about the background in that situation. He wasn't sent off because the the second yellow was during a shootout, so they don't accumulate together. But he will miss their next match in the. Uh, Eastern Conference semifinal against the Philadelphia Union, who just defeated and eliminated the New England Revolution last night. 
Uh, it's going to be a, a tasty matchup. That's a rematch of last year's Eastern Conference semifinal as well between the Union and FC Cincinnati. And since he will be without their star center back, Matt Miazga, the Union will be without their star left back, Kai Wagner, who was suspended for using a racial slur against Bobby Wood in the previous round. So two of the biggest defenders in Major League Soccer and two of the best teams in the Eastern Conference playing um, without two big names. Controversy going all around the Eastern Conference of Major League Soccer right now, specifically with those two teams. That matchup's going to be crazy. It's going to be in Cincinnati. Uh, Philly have the experience, while Cincinnati were the better team this year. I think that that one's going to go down to the wire, and it could be missing Matt Miazga for that silly pair of yellow cards and for then barging into the referee's room after the game. Uh, that could be decisive for FC Cincinnati on their season, and maybe I'm biased as a Red Bulls fan, but for sticking it to the fans the way he did, I kind of think it would be a poetic ending for FC Cincinnati and Matt Miazga. That's all we're going to talk about MLS today. We've, we've done predictions. we got to get that out of the way. The New York teams are out. It's sad. It's expected. It's expected. What's unexpected, though, is in the NWSL. Of course. Gotham FC, who were, by the way, terrific all year long, consistently in the playoff picture, which is not easy to do in a 12-team league where only six teams make it and there's only eight points between first and sixth. But Gotham FC, in the last position of the playoffs, they went through the North Carolina Courage on the road. They went through the Portland Thorns, who I picked to be the favorite on the road. Katie Stengel scoring an absolute screamer in extra time to send Gotham to their first ever NWSL final that goes back to when they were Sky Blue FC as well. So this is a, a massive, massive achievement for a club that just a few years ago was operating below professional standards. And, you know, players would have to be responsible for their own transportation. They were Their, their training facility was in disarray. Players were covering uh, the broken windows with cardboard and whatnot. And now to see the growth of this club, since they've been rebranded Gotham, away from the Christie Holly era, are now in full control of their own destiny. And I think the take the headlines that are being taken, and it should be, is that this is going to be Ali Krieger's final professional game, the defen- Defensive Player of the Year candidate and Best 11 candidate for Gotham, uh, as well as on the opposite side, Megan Rapino will be playing her final professional game for the OL Reign. I think that... It's just about as fitting an end to this season as you could have. Um, that game will be on Saturday at Snapdragon Stadium. You can catch that on CBS Sports or Paramount+. Plus. Uh, I, I personally think that it's an absolute privilege we have a New York team in a final once again. Um, and I hope Gotham can do everything they, they it takes to get the ultimate victory. And I honestly think they're the better team than the OL Reign. I look at Gotham's roster. Lynn Williams has been a stud all year long. And she steps up in big moments. I know they're going to have to weather the the... Megan Rapinoe type storm, but I like the youth over the experience in this one. And that's not to say that there's not an influx of experience on Gotham FC as well. Allie Krieger shores up that back line with her experience, but she's joined on the left back position by who should be the MLS, uh, sorry, not MLS, NWSL Rookie of the Year. And Jenna Nyswanger has had an absolute ridiculous season from the left back position, has got more goal contributions than any other rookie, and she's a defender. It's one of the greatest rookie seasons in women's soccer history in this country. And I, I really do think that Gotham should go on to win it. I'm going to predict a 2 0 win for the Bats in Snapdragon Stadium in San Diego. It's a neutral location, so it might not be the same crowd that they could muster up at Red Bull Arena when they have Cloud9, the supporters group behind the stadium in the South Ward. Uh, But I'm going to say Esther Gonzalez to get a couple goals up front, and I have Gotham claiming their first title, and I think that that's going to be a big, big turning point for soccer in this city, especially women's soccer ahead of 
we could have a big turning point in this city is coming up because we have the 2026 World Cup coming. We have the Copa America coming. We have a soccer-specific stadium being built in Queens that I don't really want to talk about, but that's coming. That's a thing that's happening. And now Gotham, right in the thick of it, and they're going to be for a long time because they've got these players. They've got one of the best coaches in NWSL and Juan Carlo Amaros, who should win Coach of the Year, depending on how this game goes Saturday. And I really like their chances. I'm very bullish on Gotham. Maybe I'm biased for coming from the region, but... I really like their chances, and look, they've made everybody proud just making it to this stage, if, if I had to put an opinion on it. Yeah, watching a bit of the highlights of that game, Gotham got away with a lot of fouls. This is true. They, it was are, very, they are an aggressive bunch. It was very sloppy. I love that It was that very game. sloppy performance, but they got away with a lot of fouls. There was one specific play where um, one of the midfielders was holding back a Portland player, and I thought it was going to be a red card, but it was given a yellow card. So, you know, those type of plays that happened during the match was kind of shaky. But, you know, reading into Katie uh, Stangle, she was on loan from Liverpool, mm-hmm. came to New York over the summer. It's perma- permanent now. But to score in Portland, in that stadium, in the rain, you know, NYCFC did it too in the final. <laughs> so it's a little bit reminiscing of a New York team going into that very hostile arena. Because I think Portland soccer, it's very it's very hostile. Yeah. It's very scary to play there. One of, one of the best. One uh, of the best atmospheres yeah, in, in, North America. in North America. So to go there and win it, you know, to get to the final. Very amazing. Um, you know, I think we're lucky in the New York area. We're lucky enough that you know the women's basketball team also made the final. You know, they came up short, but now having the women's New York soccer team going, and you know, seeing this could be uh, the last match for uh, Ali Krieger and Megan Rapino, and shout out to Kelly O'Hara too, because you know I've watched her for legend, a long time. So legend. those three legends, um, watching her, watching them for a long time, World Cups and and Olympics. So. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm happy for this team. Hopefully, they can go get it at the final. Um, hopefully, you know we can get another trophy back here in New York that's soccer related. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's the real New York team. It's yeah, the real New they, York they, team. They they carry the torch better than anybody. Yeah. That is true. As as someone who is not as familiar with the NWSL as I want to be, um, I gotta say I'm really excited that a New York team has made it back to a soccer related final. Um, and just looking at this roster, as you said, you can point to a lot of experience on both these teams. Mm-hmm. You have um, Ali Krieger, who has been holding it down for a long time in the U.S. defense. You have Mewis, who has also been a great player. Who just came back into the yeah. Gotham team, by the way. Massive, massive player. Yeah, and Kelly O'Hara, always a stalwart. So this should be a very exciting game. Uh, as a Seattle Sounders fan, uh, I'm a little bit rain. biased. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not necessarily going with the rain, because I do want... A soccer-related trophy back in New York, but I must say it should be a very even, exciting game. Yeah, it it really should. Um, there's no easy games in that league. For one, we talk about for that sure. in, in Major League Soccer, but the parity in NWSL is even further. Uh, and, and Gotham are a great example of that. They in the final two matches of the season, they could have been in or out of the playoffs, but they were consistently above the playoff line all year long. And last year, they weren't even in the playoffs at all. Right. So for them to have grown this much with Yes, a good con- contingent of the same players, but a good deal of supplemental pieces as well, like the aforementioned Katie Stangle, who was huge in that match against Portland. I really do think Gotham have a great chance in the final, and yeah, they are one of those teams who might be a little bit happy just to have gotten there, but are certainly capable of more. I think they're the better team than the Olympia Reign, and I, and I do think they're going to go on and win it, and I hope they prove me correct. Unfortunately, though, that's all the time we are going to have for the local side of the game. we got to move things over uh, internationally because we had a, a, a packed slate of Champions League football this week, and, and that's where we're going to start. Uh, I, th- I think one of the – we're not going to start with 
we're going to end with United, yes. Gino, because, yes. Yes. because for obvious reasons we let's, have to. Yes. Let's start with Bayern then. Because, cool. All right. because, and we're gonna have to track back a little bit to the weekend too, because we we do want to talk about the Dare Classic match because you did you did bring it up saying this is a great opportunity for Dortmund to really get some momentum Boy, going. Was I wrong? And yeah. you were proven wrong. What okay. what did you see from that match specifically? That uh, apart from the scoreline, that didn't go Dortmund's way and fell into Bayern's hands. I just believe that Bayern have one of the best strikers in the world. I actually did not watch the first half of this game because I was like, oh, Bayern's probably going to either be tied, they're probably going to be losing, and then I checked my phone and they're like, oh, it's 2-0. <laughs> and not only is it 2-0, they scored within the first couple minutes of the game, Deo Upamakano with a nice header off of a set piece, ironically, which has kind of always been Bayern's bugaboo, you mm -hmm. know, with... Joshua Kimmich not exactly that good in that department in my opinion mm -hmm. but yeah I was proven massively wrong just because Harry Kane is a genius he's a creative genius he just helps this Bayern team so much especially dropping deep and you know creating his own chances really um, but moving on to the Champions League I thought that this game was one of those games that was a typical Thomas Tuchel game where Bayern gets frustrated for long periods of the game and they need that individual quality at the end to pull it out. And once again, Harry Kane proving to be one of the better signings in Europe right now. And I would say that I'm happy that Bayern won this group, won this game, but it was a very, very timid performance in a sense, you know? I kind of felt like there was more to be had from Bayern, especially... I thought Leroy Sané could have had a couple of goals in the first half. So while I'm happy that Bayern have gotten out of this group with some form of ease, I am kind of holding my breath on this one. Also with the injury of Jamal Musiala. Mm. Luckily, he's only out for a couple of weeks, but it's still a massive blow to this team because he is one of the creative forces in this squad. So we'll see how the next few weeks are for Bayern. But I'm happy with where we are now, and I'm, as far, as long as we find ways to win, I can't complain. Yeah, I think Harry Kane right now is getting adjusted to Bayern to that yeah. new league, Champions League. He's played in the final. He's played in the in, in the in the competition. Um, he's scoring goals. He's yeah. I think he scored with this Champions League match. He scored five goals in the last two. Mm -hmm. Bayern won the group. They're ready to qualify. They're ready to their knockout phase. This Group A, in general. <laughs> Is a whirlwind. I mean, Copenhagen, Galatasaray, Manchester United. There are four point four points for Copenhagen, Galatasaray. Man U's three points. We're obviously going to get to Man U <laughs> later in, in the show, but you know, the dominance of Bayern continues in this Champions League competitions. You know, they've been really good in the last couple of years. They've won it three years ago, which is very hard to believe because people don't want to credit that Champions League year because of COVID and the short uh, games. But uh, you know, I think Harry Kane is finally getting adjusted. Uh, shout out to Kim, also the center back. I think he's probably one of the most massive performer, underrated performances, enjoy. underrated player uh, in, 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 in European football. So, uh, yeah, I think Bayern's going to have a difficult way. To, obviously, we don't know when the draw is going to happen. There's still a lot of games to be played left, but uh, I think Bayern right now is in a good place. Harry Kane scoring goals, what we saw when he did in Spurs, but uh, I think this is a very good team for him going on to the knockout phase. Yeah, and before we move on, I, I do want to give some flowers to Galatasaray, who not only went to yes. Old Trafford and picked up three points, but actually yes. weathered the storm of Bayern for, I would, Absolutely. I would say, 
even into that 80th minute, the goal was, a, like you said, it was a moment of individual brilliance, and as was the second one, was a bit more team-oriented with the ball in behind to Kane. But I, I, I do think that Galatasaray showed a lot of worth in not conceding until they did, and then actually scoring in mm-hmm. the 93rd minute as well. I, I, If I had to pick a team to get out of the group right now after Bayern, yes. I, I, I'd have to pick Galatasaray, even though Copenhagen, mm-hmm. I believe, hold the second position yes, right. on uh, tiebreakers at the moment. Uh, before we go back to Group A, because we will circle back, I think we should chat a little bit. I want to talk about Atletico Madrid's 6-0 win over Celtic. Sure. Um, that was yeah. men against boys. Uh, I, Atletico Madrid have, have really stood out to me as a uh, cream of the crop team in that group. And not only because Group E has been a little bit bipolar with the likes of Feyenoord and Lazio, Atletico have been consistent throughout it. They've not dropped a match yet. They've dropped points but they were lethal with every chance they had. They took a 10-man Celtic and really took them to the cleaners. Uh, I was very upset for the likes of Cameron Carter-Vickers, who was wearing the captain's band, the American <laughs> International for Celtic, but they had no answer to the onslaught of Atletico Madrid. And that's not what we consider Atletico for, right? An onslaught. That's They've kind of uh, shown a new, f- a new head under Simeone. And I, that's something I want to unpack a little bit because I think Antoine Griezmann, for one, kind of been forgotten about in the last few years, is playing some of the best football of his life. And this team, I would pick, is a dark horse to go on a deeper run. People forget 2016 Antoine Griezmann. He was out of this world. Yeah. He's probably top three in Ballon d'Or rankings in 2016 in that whole era of Atletico making the Champions League final and, of course, playing the Euro final with uh, with France, ultimately losing it, but then two years later winning the World Cup final. So, yeah, Griezmann the last couple of years in club form has been great. He wasn't really necessary. He wasn't really required to be at Barca, but he was there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was there. <laughs> he was so, there. That's kind of that's kind of fair. <laughs> yeah. So he was there. He played, but you know it wasn't his best football. Coming back to Atletico, I think he's going back into that rhythm of who he was in 2016. Um, but also, we got to remember Celtic hasn't been in the Champions League in a long time. Last year they were there. This year they just got demolished by Atletico Madrid. People were questioning Simeone's uh, managerial status if he could if he's going to leave or not. You know he's been there for over. 10 years now. In the last 10 years, Atletico has been to two European finals. They want to get back to that final and win it. Um, you know, Morata is o- always a, a, a mystery card for me because, you know, he's played for Real Madrid, he's played for Chelsea, and then he's been to Juventus, then he went back to Juventus. Mm-hmm. Now he's back in Atletico Madrid, and it was a whole <laughs> whirlwind, but he's been really producing in, in the national team too and, and Atletico Madrid too. So uh, Atletico Madrid, you know, in the season in, in, the, in La Liga, you know, has been pretty good lately. One against Real Madrid a couple of weeks ago, uh, but they're definitely want to get back to that knockout round. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they won the Europa League a couple of years ago too, but they want to get back to that knockout uh, round. Th- the they're above League. that. Yeah, they're yeah they should be playing in the knockouts. And, um, yeah. But yeah, so like in the group right now, let's go with eight points first. Lazio seven, uh, Fernand six. Celtic ultimately going to be leaving the competition, mm-hmm. but it's a very close, uh, very close group. So you know, the next upcoming matches is going to be. A little bit hectic for Atletico if they want to get that first place. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Huge win for them. I'm glad to see players like Antoine Griezmann and Alvaro Morata, who has always been a player who has been sometimes criticized for his ability to finish. So I'm very happy to see Atletico getting a huge win. Celtic, obviously, kind of looking out of their depth. Uh, 
might I add, they did actually draw this first fixture yeah. between yeah. Yeah. The, these two teams. So that growth. was a very impressive result, but ultimately looking out of their depth. But James, you did mention the word dark horse, and I want to throw another team into the mix for a dark horse for Please Champions do. League. How about Real Sociedad? Sociedad. Yes. I was, yes. Re- I was yes. ready. Yes. I was Huge ready for, win. Huge win for, for them that. as well. 3-1 win. I believe it was, if I remember correctly, Benfica, West mm-hmm. Benfica. Um, looking really good. Uh, Alguacil, the manager of this team, a couple of great players in the squad. Taki Cubo looking good. Mikel Oyarzabal throwing mm-hmm. it back. Mikel Marino. I really, I really like this how this team looks. They're not doing as well in the league as you know a Champions League contender would be, but I do think that in the Champions League they can cause a lot of teams problems, um, especially if you know. I don't think they will come second in their group. Um, I think they'll ultimately win it. But if they do, I think that they can cause a, a top team like, say, a Bayern or, you know. They can really a, cause yeah, some trouble. They can, tr- they can cause some teams trouble, yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's going to come down to match day six of that group where Inter play mm-hmm. Sociedad. That's going to be at the San Siro. So I I put look at that match and the home field advantage that Inter will have. I think that's going to be the difference of who tops the group. And whoever tops that group is going to have a massive, massive advantage in the next round who their opponent's going I, to I be. I do have one last thing to say about Real Sociedad. Last Jump year, in. last year they played Europa League against United. So <laughs> it's not a surprise, it's not a surprise <laughs> that, you know, that. they're really good this no, year. They, because they last the year they were really good in Europa League. Um, so credit to Real Sociedad. Last year, too, I think they were in the, in the top uh, – um, uh, well, they made top four, obviously, yeah. but you know uh, they've been really good lately. So I, I, yes, it's not it's not a surprise for me because they've been really good mm-hmm. last year. But uh, yeah, just to jump in on that. They played yeah. United last year. So. <laughs> they they've definitely <laughs> continued that upward trajectory from last year. They're certainly want to be in a better position than they of are course, in La Liga, but I think they'll take it for now where they are in Group D of the it's Champions League. League. Yeah. Uh, Salzburg and Benfica were both predicted not to get out of that group. I don't think they were predicted to be the punching bags as uh, just as heavily as they have been. The only points Salzburg were getting being that win over Benfica, and Benfica 0 for 4 in their four matches. Uh, they've uh, been really disappointing. Yeah. Um, if I could point to another dark horse, and I'm going to look at Group H, which was uh, shaken up a little bit on Tuesday because Barca lost to Shakhtar Donetsk. Now, I'm not worried about Barca not getting out of this group. I'm not even worried about them not topping the group, but Porto and Shakhtar had now each of them have a responsibility mm. to finish second. And it could be uh, Shakhtar Donetsk, which would be an absolutely great story, the Ukrainian club, of course. But Porto have looked pretty consistent, and I've loved their goal-scoring record. They've scored more goals than any other team in Group H, and I really think that if it's not for Sociedad, I would point to them as the next candidates of the second or third tier of Europeans' top teams to go and make a run into the uh, knockout rounds. I, I'm, I have my doubts about that, especially if they end up finishing second. It would take a Barcelona implosion for them not to finish first. So I'm going to pump the brakes on Porto just a little bit in that regard. Let's move to Group F, though, because this was our group of death, and I think the numbers now are only just starting to look like it really could be anybody's group. Dortmund, massive. Came away. They're still top of the group on seven points. Uh, Certainly shocked me that, that they would be clear at this point, and I say only clear because I've not been convinced by any other team in this group. They got the 2-0 win over Newcastle, which they had to undo their wrongs in the first leg in that one. PSG Milan, Milan after a disappointing weekend, I would say maybe, coming in and getting a big win over PSG. I love to see that, not only because of the Americans on, on Milan. Pulisic did go down, but he seems to be okay. I really just liked having a, an exciting group again, and if PSG are the ones that go out, I'm not. you're not going to hear me complaining. <laughs> I don't know about that. 
Gino, what do you think? Group F. It was a great match, a great performance from Milan, a bounce back performance from Milan. Yeah. Um, it's good to hear. We were talking before the show. Pulsich is day to day, so it's not mm-hmm. a really big injury for American fans to worry about. But hopefully, uh, he'll be back when it comes to international. But you know, talking about Group F, a soccer fan, what, looking at this table right now, you you're thinking PSG ultimately could be playing in the Europa League this season. Wow! If they lose, you know, a couple of matches, if lose the next match, maybe tie their last match. But you know, uh, Milan really showed. The San Siro was very loud that day. Uh, I think the goals were amazing. I mean, the Giroud took goal, well. Giroud goal, the Giroud was goal was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, okay. It was amazing. He, he is he's amazing, by the way. That so uh, underrated. Leal running that to get the ball back, you know, shows that they really wanted it. If it wasn't for that run and that cross, you know, they would have gotten that goal. So very, very good performance from Milan. Um, right now, obviously, they're in the third position, but you know, everybody. I mean, the whole team seven points, six points, five, four. It's one point. Literally, like, any team can literally go any team can go through. Um, we're going to get to, to Newcastle. Um, but, yeah, but to wrap up my points about Milan, uh, you know, it's up for grabs. Yeah. Win the next game, you can be in the first um, two, uh, top of the, of the group or in the second position. So, you know, just win the next game. Yeah, watching the highlights of this game, I was also really impressed not only by Milan's performance, but by one player in particular, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. How about him? <laughs> yeah, he the resurrection. great performance watching the highlights, just controlling the midfield with such grace and force. Um, so always good to see him finding a place in this team, but ultimately a huge win for Milan. But just looking at this group, it's just as good as advertised. I mean, this is exactly mm-hmm. what a neutral soccer fan wants out of the group of death. Um, Dortmund, obviously, with a huge win for them after and a very emotional loss to Bayern in the Classicer and a game that they really needed to win to kind of get over the, that game. So... I just feel like this group is definitely poised. If PSG goes out, I'm not complaining either. I've I don't think always, no one is. <laughs> I've always never <laughs> liked PSG. Parisians. But yeah. ultimately, yeah, I think that this group has just offered up some great games, great football, and I can't wait to see what happens with it. Yeah, the storyline surrounding this group alone, for Dortmund to come back the way that they did, not only coming back against Newcastle, but after that horrible 4-0 loss on the weekend to their biggest rival for Milan having not won a match in a month coming mm. in and then beating PSG and Newcastle re-emerging into this uh, Champions League for the first time in Lord knows how long and yeah they've kind of gotten the uh, the short end of the stick with the teams they've been grouped with but they haven't shown like their pushovers in any way they're still in with a shout of to th- this group they still have a chance to win this group so I wouldn't rule out any of those four teams Newcastle of course the new kids on the block so to speak but nice. we imagine that th- th- they'll be they'll be back next year and years coming in the Champions League. They'll at least be in the discussion and in the qualification realm in the Premier League. So I don't think that they have to be uh, go all in on qualifying for the knockout round this year. I think a Europa League appearance for Newcastle would be great for the club as well. Uh, a run would be very feasible for them at that point. Uh, I think that's just about everything we need to know about the Champions League. I think everything else we kind of have seen expected. We talk about Group B. The only exception I see is Sevilla have uh, been underperforming in that group, but that has been true in La Liga as well. Uh, if I look at Group C, no surprises there. Madrid and Napoli leading the charge. Uh, Napoli did get that draw against Union Berlin, but Union Berlin have been... You, you've seen it in yeah, the Bundesliga. They've been characters. They've been mentality monsters. It doesn't surprise me that they go and they pick up results here and there, although it's their only point to their name in the, ch- in the Champions League thus far. I think there's really not that many big surprises yet in the Champions League, so we're still waiting for that one to come in. 
with the exception of Group A. We got to circle back to Manchester United. Yes. But the reason yes. the reason <laughs> I say it's not a massive massive surprise because it's not a is because it's not. Yeah. Yes. And I think we've kind of come to that conclusion in the last few weeks talking about this club and it's that they're just not up to the standard or up to the par that they should be yes in their league compared to the teams that they want to compete with and unfortunately now the Champions League has become a vessel for showing that but that's not to say that that match was not marred with controversy because it was Mm -hmm. there's a red card in that first half that changed everything that if you ask me, probably shouldn't have been red. I think there's I a agree. there's agree. the mechanics of the of the laws of the game the natural, might have yes. suggested that that was a red card. But I think if you know anybody who has seen soccer before, who understands the game before, that it'd be really really harsh to eject someone for for what Marcus Rashford did in the 42nd minute against Copenhagen. Gino, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you an opportunity if you'd like talk about sure. that match. Talk about United as a whole. What's going on? Obviously, and we're gonna, what change? What needs to change? Obviously, we're going to talk about United in the Premier League too. But mm-hmm. speaking of the Champions League, it was very frustrating for Man United to go out like that. You mean a great game, four three? Yeah. Yeah. Love to see goals for a neutral. For a neutral, it was a neutral. amazing game. game, Champions League game. I mean, away in, in a very hostile uh, Copenhagen Arena. Um, yeah, I mean, we can talk about the decision making. Rashford red card. I personally don't think it was a red card. The way Marcus Rashford was trying to get the ball, yes, it hit the the ankle of the player but you know it's very harsh to give someone a red card like that mm-hmm. and in the moment of the game but you know we can talk about decisions in the VAR um, but but yeah I mean at this point you know you gotta the players gotta stand up they gotta play, you know they're not from look there's a lot of things to say about this team and <laughs> I, as a United fan I'm very frustrated but when we look at you know they're always gonna be the talk of managerial changes they're gonna talk about Aaron Ten Hag's job is he the right person for for this team? Are the players playing for him? There's some. Varane said in a, in an interview, maybe or or sources got leaked out that he wants to leave Man United. Jaden Sancho was kicked out of a what's, <laughs> yeah. a WhatsApp group chat. <laughs> He's not playing. Players want to leave. Do so at, do you think that was real? You know, at this point, we don't know. It could, it could be, but <laughs> it, could uh, be. it could be. But you know, play. It, it looks like for me, some you saw of the, that, right? Saw, yeah, <laughs> saw, some of the players feel like they don't want to play for Ten Hag. Now, I don't know if it's maybe because of what he did last season. I don't want to talk about it because obviously everybody knows. But put in this perspective, Ole was sacked in December of that season. It's about to be December for Man United. Is he going to get sacked? We don't know. There's no indication of him getting sacked there's been managers linked to man united that's going to be hired no indication whatsoever they if you look at it this way they're out of three competitions premier league they're really bad right now they're not even in a european uh, position they're out of the league cup champions league they're fourth with three points they can't even make uh uh, uh the second position if they really want to because right now they're really not playing well they could go to Europa, but Liverpool is really good PSG could go to Europa so Newcastle Newcastle mm-hmm. go to Europa so if they're going to Europa they're going to lose so that's three competitions they're out of, and they're only ha- the only competition left is the FA Cup, and they can't even win a final. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, this team is very, very frustrating. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to probably keep saying the same thing when it comes to United in the next weeks. But credit to Arsenal, because we haven't talked about Arsenal sure, a little bit. Sure, They're a team, first in the in the group, nine points, young players. Arteta mm-hmm. knows what he's doing. Man United has to got a follow sense of that model. They want to play for Arteta, the players. And they're playing really good football. That's why they're first place. And they won against Sevilla. Very tough uh, tough team to play. Now, I think 
Arsenal, you know, they haven't played in Champions League in a couple of years, but you know, for first competition back in in I think six or seven years, with these players they can go farther in the in the knockout rounds, and I think that's what Man United need to realize that having young players like Arsenal, what they have, the teams that they have, and how they're playing football, uh, you know, English team has to follow that sort of you know model that Arsenal is leading with. So yeah, for Man United fans, it's going to be held these next couple of weeks because we're still in November. The season started three months ago, so. We still have December, January, February, March, April, and then May. And then, you know, what's going to happen is, man, you're going to be 10th place or even below. So it's it's very it's, – it's, it's a it's a hellstorm in uh, in Manchester United Football Club. It's a hellstorm for, sure. yeah. for the Red Devils. Yes. Yeah. The ironic. TIFO at the park and said it all. It was a theater the of theater nightmares. The theater of nightmares. The theater of nightmares yes, at the true. park and stadium. The park and is a great stadium, yes, by the way. It Historic. is a great stadium. But, yeah, credit to Arsenal. Yeah. Really good yes. team right now. Yeah, credit to Arsenal for what they've done not only in Europe but what they've done in in England. And because of what they've done in England, we kind of got. I, uh, blame me. I, I'm the host of the episode. I kind of glossed over their achievements in Europe just a second ago because mm-hmm. we've come to expect that from them. Right. And I think a lot of that is you give a manager the keys for a little while. I'm not saying that Manchester United needs to double down on the Eric Ten Hag oh, era. No, no, no. I'm saying. Mikel Arteta has been the manager of Arsenal since 2019. I don't know if you remember the early days of his tenure. Yes. Was very much... Very terrible. uh, Very much criticized, very much maligned by Arsenal fans. But now those things have subsided. These are growing pains that you have to go through. And I think just about every manager who arrived into the Premier League and has has since been with a, a team, I'll say, going back before the pandemic now, so a long time, at least three years... The only exceptions of, of co- coaches who weren't immediately maligned by the fans or at least went through a terrible period, Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp. And I think you can kind of separate those two managers from the rest of the managers in the Premier League in terms of the class that they come from, in terms of the elite status that they possess, and it's quite simply they're a league above the rest. They've earned that status, they did it, and they're, they're, they're one-of-a-kind managers in their own right. I'm not saying that Manchester United need to go out and get that type of a manager. What they need to do is they need to have a direction. They need to have a system. They need to have a commitment to an idea. And what we've noticed in the past 10 years, and I'll say, I've said it before, I'll say it again, ever since Sir Alex Ferguson has left, this team has not had an identity for more than half of a season. They've not had a cultivation of a new sense of community, of a new ecosystem of players that have wanted to stick around and have wanted to be part of something bigger than themselves. And that's not me saying that they're bringing in the wrong players and they're doing this, this, and that. They have to create that from within. There's a reason that the only player to come through the youth ranks at Manchester United who's honestly worth anything at the highest level is Marcus Rashford. And he's expected to be the guy to shoulder the burden, to to be the answer to Liverpool's Mo Salas, to Arsenal's Bukayo Saka. And I'm sorry, but Marcus Rashford just simply isn't that good. I love the guy. I think he's one of the greatest faces in English football. I think what what he has done both on and off the field is remarkable. He's, in, he's a world talent unlike many others. But to expect him to be that guy is too much. And it's, and for my money, it's because the club hasn't done a good enough job over the last 10 years of being prepared to compete at this level. And they're, for that reason, they go through scapegoat manager after scapegoat manager with half baked ideas about what makes a professional club really good and tick. And unfortunately, you're seeing it play out in real time. And yeah, we can talk about VAR all we want. It's football heritage. But, like, come on now, man. If you can't overcome that result, they were up 3-2. It 
They were up 3-2 mm-hmm. with 10 minutes to go, and they couldn't see it out. So it goes I, around, comes around. I, after, after a certain point, you can't always talk about the decisions. And they were gifted a, a, that penalty for Bruno Fernandez, by the way. That was such a generous handball decision to be given to them, and they blew it. So I, I think Manchester United, uh, right now, you can you can stack them up with the mid table teams in the Premier League because I I don't I haven't seen enough of encouraging play, of encouraging stories like around the team even off the field lately that make me look at that club and think there are very many if any redeeming qualities at the moment which hurts the it dr- hurts the, the drama because the, yeah the <laughs> drama uh, stands out more than the results absolutely and, so. and and that's especially painful for someone who's not just a fan of the club but someone who's a fan of the sport because football and Manchester United. They go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. They're, they're practically synonymous with each other. They're one of the biggest clubs in the world for a reason. And it's such a shame to see that this is what they've become. And you said it yourself, they're out of just about every competition. Even the ones that they're still in, they're out of, which is <laughs> yeah. which is shocking to say the least. Um, but that go- does give us a good opportunity to take a look inward into England, where I know we spend a lot of time talking about the Premier League on this show. But apart from the title race at the top, which is now heating up, Liverpool are firmly back in that discussion Uh, Arsenal are level with them on points for third and fourth Spurs just the point off of City they finally have dropped a game and that leads them into perhaps the biggest match of the weekend uh, coming up with uh, which match you know let's let's talk about last weekend first let's talk about last weekend first Chelsea getting the win that they did over Spurs and Andre Postacoglu coming off and talking about VAR the way that he did Let's talk about VAR for just a couple minutes before we, we get into the nitty gritty of the results because it's been it's been all it over the place. It was a hectic match. It was a part of y- today in the Liverpool to lose match. Apparently, it was part of this week in the Champions League with United and Copenhagen. It was part of the weekend with Chelsea and Spurs, and it was part of MLS playoffs last night with the Revolution and the Union. So I think it's important we talk about this. <sighs> I loved what Andre Postecoglou had to say. He came off and is like, look, I could complain about the results. I could complain about the decisions being made. I just think it's kind of strange that someone miles away is in a room where they look at a thing, they can look over over and over again, and then can give a decision. Meanwhile, the ref, who's five minutes, who's five feet away from the decision, um, let's play go on, things look natural. Because, you know, when you have the flow of the game going, things look different than when you can stop and look at them on a screen. So he just had a moment to criticize the system of VAR in general without – pointing any fingers at any of individual referees or any individual decisions, which I thought was an incredibly mature and fair response. But I'm I'm sorry, I, I'm not the big VAR hater you may want me to be. Personally, referees are always going to be vilified, no matter what the system is. Just because it takes a little longer now for the referee's decision to come to, to come to light, I think you can make cases that it's disruptive or it takes too long. That's all fair. But... To go and blame the entire system of VAR in general for me is 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 just it's the same beast with a different face. You didn't like when referees made certain decisions before. You just don't like them now that they've gotten reviewed. I think they could do such a better job at implementing it. The technology is not the problem. It's the attitude surrounding it, and it hasn't gotten better. It's only getting worse. Uh, it's just it's it's yeah. It's not. It's not the, that the VAR system yeah. was introduced, I think, in the 2018-2019 season. I, I, from my perspective, I think, in the early days of VAR, I think there was no controversy or scandals around it. Lately, they've been, lately they've been, I think, controversial. Okay, yeah. this season with the Liverpool and Spurs, and if somehow somewhat Spurs every time they play a game, it's there's every always time there's controversy. Every time Liverpool plays, apparently this. Too. 
this uh this this year with Liverpool and Spurs game and you know the disallowed goal was actually a goal and they're releasing all the VAR decisions and, 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 and the talk you know between the referees. We could talk about the World Cup too with the VAR decisions this year and the last in twenty eighteen because that was the first World Cup uh that they used so far. Lately, it's just it's they've been not you know they've been they've sacked so many referees in, in La Liga too. Michael, uh, what's Michael Oliver was demoted to the championship. Uh, Anthony Taylor. Anthony Taylor yeah. was, he's back up for this. Back up. It was just for it was just for a week. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's just lately. If VAR has been very, 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 very bad, and for this game, Tottenham versus Chelsea, five disallowed goals, two for Spurs, <sighs> yeah. two for Spurs. There were, there, were, there, were, there were five actual goals. And there were five <laughs> actual goals. Two for Spurs, threes for Chelsea, yeah. two red cards for Spurs. Did yeah. yeah. It wasn't the only match like that this week. Oh no, no! Newcastle Arsenal was was they they that was bad. The too. amount of times that, 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 that I saw too. that replay of that one challenge in the first yes, half. Yes, yes. And look, you, it it it's it sparks debate. Like, was that a foul? Was that not? What are the laws of the was game? The ball out of play. The amount of times yeah. that I've been asked to reinterpret and interpret the handball rule over the last year, year and a half has yeah. been crazy. The like, offside crazy. rule as well, because because now there's new Bef- technology about before, it. Before it was. The arm is the never arm. involved, yeah. but now for now some reason the arm is like on the line. Where you're leading your yeah, Serie A doing that. Yeah, World Cup as well. Chris, I want to get your take on this. As yeah, definitely. From the Bundesliga perspective, where like in the Serie A, they did not add anything new like they have done in Serie A, where they're experimenting with that sort of thing. I don't know if is VAR that controversial in the Bundesliga as it has become in the Premier League. Because yeah, I, I don't think necessarily. I don't. I, I don't. Think Are they doing anything differently? I mean, the only. Real thing I can point out was the Bayern Darmstadt game, um, but I think that almost every challenge in that game, if you <laughs> think about it, was correct. Right. But first, I want I do want to go back to this Spurs Chelsea game because it was just a very interesting game. That was crazy. First of all, I do want to commend Spurs for their unwavering commitment to the idea of Ange ball. Yeah, even, they even when it did they go well, they could have just sat everyone behind the ball and just invited the pressure. But no, they kept that high line almost all the way up to the halfway line. It's just a surprisingly, shockingly high line. The high line, yeah. And also, when we think of Spurs and what they've done this season, we commend Ange Postacoglu. We commend players like Son and Madison. But I want to take time out to commend the young goalkeeper, Guglielmo Vicario. What a yeah. brave performance from him. He could have also just like sat back, tried to parry away as many shots, but he took it to them. He was brave in every challenge he made, almost every single decision for him to come out of the goal. It was almost like a prime Neuer performance coming from a Bayern fan. So I do want to commend him. Going back to uh, VAR as a whole, especially in this game, I do think that the Ramiro um, red card was very controversial in a yeah. sense because... You can make the you can make the argument that yes, the follow through was the reason that he got sent off, but he did try to clear the ball, and this is also going back to like the Rashford and the name of the, the game. The discussion of intent. Yes, the discussion of intent is a huge yes. one because with the Rashford and Ramiro challenges, maybe the Ramiro challenge is worse in terms of the fact that the follow through was worse. But in the case of the Rashford challenge, you kind of are scratching your head at it because while the quote-unquote challenge itself looked bad it, it, it wasn't what the Rashford intended to do and so that is one of the main things that VAR is to fix what are you looking at to determine what is a red card what is an offside or not because in my opinion VAR can be a very impactful method to decide certain decisions right. in a good way but I just don't think that they're taking it right. 
I think I think you raise a really good point is what is VAR looking at? And Christina Uncle, who is a referee, um, went on the Golasso show on CBS to talk about this and specifically with regards to the Rashford challenge. Um, we weren't look. She said we weren't looking at intent. We were looking at serious foul play. And at that point, Rashford, we saw the play. He's trying to shield the ball. He steps down onto the opponent's ankle foot stomps, really. But studs aren't up. Studs are going down. It's trying an attempt to shield and cover the ball. There's no intent made. But because the rule is interpreted as if serious foul play with violent conduct that could injure a player, that is then a red card. And I understand that that's written in the law. But once you have two, three minutes to then dissect an individual instance of a match via a screen and look at it, you can then levy that interpretation. But during the game, when the referee had a great view, was right there and saw it go down, saw the player get stepped on and fall over, didn't think anything of it because it was so natural and so seemingly part of the game, they didn't have the two, three minutes to then dissect it and go through the decision. And I think that's what VAR makes a mistake in doing sometimes because the the primary purpose is to correct errors that are clear and obvious if there's a clear and obvious error made by the referee var comes in and fixes that and it's important for moments like goals was there an offside for a goal i don't think you then have to go back to every instance of a potential red card challenge and then spend five minutes to decide whether it was serious or not Uh, i think that that's that's detrimental to the game and i think when var does that then it can be a systemic issue however it has pointed out there are moments in games though looking back many years where there's been serious foul play that has been made and has gone completely unpunished. So I think it's good that there's a system measuring that, but I currently lean on to the position that if your decision takes longer than a certain amount of time, there is no way you can convince me that it is then clear and obvious of an error. If you had to dissect the decision and you had to go through every little detail in order to determine that you made a mistake, that doesn't seem very clear and obvious to me. And I think we have to get back to really policing the clarity and the obvious nature of mistakes made by referees if we are to implement VAR as much as it is being implemented at the highest levels of the game. We saw that this we saw this on this week too. When Romero got the red card, it was a goal and then they said no. Cancel it. Red card first, then a penalty. Sometimes when it comes to offsides or handballs and handballs especially when it comes to the the, the natureness of where your body's going to land. So in in the rules now, if the ball you know, it's like here. Like, well, I'm going to say like in your arm, mm-hmm. not like near your shoulder. It's considered a handball. But sometimes, you know, in the nature of the game, you know, the ball can some. For example, let's say it, the ball hit a Chelsea player and then it hits uh, the Spurs' um, hand. Sometimes VAR says no. It's not. It's not a. Because it's, it's not a penalty. Because mm-hmm. yeah, because you know the, the arm is there naturally. But sometimes it can go the other way. So at this point, what yeah. are we doing with VAR? Yeah. You know, I, are the people inside the yeah. room? fans of the yes, game def- or something or like they think <laughs> yeah. like it's just it I, makes I no think, sense yeah i do think we've seen that like for the past years Mike, michael richards tournament. proposed that former players should be involved in yes. these decisions i think i do think we've the people in the behind world, yeah, yeah the same world cup euros yes. copa america mls this goes to any league that has far i, I do so. think the people behind var are also a huge factor as to why it's not as effective as it should be Let's go back to a Liverpool Spurs game where they released the audio for that where oh, they were yeah. just like... And now they want to release yes, audios. They yeah. do want to. I think releasing audios holds these people accountable because when you look at uh, the VA audio for that game and that goal, it, it, I don't know what they're talking about because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it just leaves me speechless. It's like a language you don't understand. 
why would you say there's nothing you can do? You, there is something you can do about it. You can go back. That is what your job is. You, you are you are required to go back and look at certain incidents and make sure they are correct. That is your job. And I think that there's a certain power structure between mm. VAR and referees. Are referees now protected by the fact that VAR is now trying to have a larger effect on the game. And does that, in turn, make refereeing decisions more controversial too? The referee on the pitch has the final say. VAR is there to assess the referee of what the referee yes. didn't see. Now, when we talk about the reactions in Europe, you know, in Champions League and, and Prem, <laughs> the reactions, the reactions <laughs> players are just, you know, hysterical but when it comes to you know in america too for mls you know players even goes to the, t to the monitor and complains to the ref yeah. and that yeah. get yellow cards they the managers get sanctions and in south america it's worse because in the common bowl leagues the players are fighting um, and they're going and all over the referee yeah. monitor so po at this post point, match tunnel videos from common bowl matches like they're insane yeah i mean there was a even qualifiers, and you know, in South America, the qualifiers for the World Cup is insane. Oh, like, yeah. They go crazy. They oh, start yeah. fighting because of the VAR system. So at this point, you know, who are these referees in the VAR systems inside mm -hmm. that little room, wherever it is? And, and, and look, the, the very nature of VAR existing because it's a separate room that decides these things, it invites more criticism to the referees on the field who don't always get to see what the VAR is seeing. They don't always go to the monitor. They don't always hear everything. They don't always get every bit of information. And those people become scapegoats. And I'm not saying that Anthony Taylor wasn't correctly demoted last week. Probably was. It's probably fair. But it, who would want to be a referee right now? I mean, the whole system it seems corrupted. You become the villain just because you exist and you perform your job. I can't see why anybody would want to do it. And I feel I feel bad for referees. I, I, I honestly do. But the system at first is, is the issue. And that's why these referees get vilified so much because people want someone to blame, right? When something doesn't go well for your team, you look mm -hmm. at the coach, you look at the players. When something goes well and it's out of your control, you naturally want to blame the referees. So that's where this attitude stems from. It's always existed in the sport. It's not going away. I think it's just being compounded a little bit by yeah. VAR. I do think there are absolutely uh, needs to restructure and reconsider where and when VAR can be implemented and how to do it efficiently. But... I think that's a pretty good place to end this mm -hmm. episode. I think we got the chance to talk about just about pretty much everything in the footballing world. I'm glad we ended it with the VAR conversation because that has really consumed like the global football populace at the moment. Uh, and it's a contentious issue for sure. I, 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 I'm currently not, not the biggest technology hater. Nobody uh, likes this motion. See, yeah. sometimes I do, man. So sometimes <laughs> I do when it, when it, def when it yeah. depends. The only thing United. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, when it helps <laughs> our team, I have no say. But right. when technology, I mean, the first time technology came to soccer was the, uh, the goal line technology. Yeah. In uh, the World Cup in 2014, Brazil. No one hates that. I love it. I, I, I love when they show the graphic yeah. and, and I, it's. Yeah. I, I love when people that, complain about it too. Yeah. yeah. I would. I would love that the. I would actually also say that the offside technology has been pretty successful when used True. properly and yes. interpreted properly. The problem is not the technology; it's the interpretation and our attitudes around it. Let's, let's uh, go to VAR. Let's go to VAR right now and see if we if we nailed this episode. Yeah. I think we did, I think and we I think did. I yeah. think we should wrap up right now. It's a good place as any to stop. For Gino Alva, for Chris Shepard, I want to thank you coming on two weeks in a row. I want to thank you coming back for a little while. I'm sorry we couldn't get you. Uh, last week, but you will be back. I'll be back. I'm James Burley saying so long from WFUV. FUVFC is a production of WFUV Sports. That's a great ending.